Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one solemn page of Talmud every day. And I say solemn because today's page, Nazir 51, continues the somewhat morbid streak of discussing death and the ways it may or may not impart impurity to our beloved Nazir. Have a listen. The Mishnah taught that one of the sources of ritual impurity for which a Nazarite must shave is a full ladle of dust from a corpse. The sages taught, which is a corpse that has the halacha of dust? What kind of corpse actually imparts this specific type of impurity? A corpse, the Talmud goes on to say, that was buried naked in a marble coffin or on a stone floor. This is a corpse that has the halacha of dust that imparts impurity. Any dust found there must have come from the corpse. However, if it was buried in its cloak or in a wooden coffin or on a brick floor, this is a corpse that does not have the halacha of dust that imparts impurity. A reminder of just how important and sacred it is to prepare a dead body for burial properly. Now, our guest today usually joins us on a much lighter note. Hello to you, the Corduroy Rav. Corduroy Rav slash mortician. You, usually we talk about wide whales of corduroy and other wonderful, memorable things. But I asked you to join me today because you wrote a seminal book that everyone must read about the aftermath of the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. And one of the most moving chapters in a deeply moving book is about... Precisely this, about preparing the bodies for ritual burial, about the Hevra Kadisha. What is the Hevra Kadisha? The Hevra Kadisha is an ancient Jewish communal organization that exists in any traditional Jewish community. Um, a Hevra is a, a friendship group, a fellowship, if you will, and Kadisha, holy, so it's a holy society, often translated as burial society, but I like keeping the original holy society. And it's a group of men or a group of women, uh, men work on men's corpses, women on women's corpses, who prepare the body for burial in the traditional way, reading psalms or other prayers over the body as they wash the body, a ritual called tahara, where they, they purify the body by washing it with cold water, removing anything that's not organic and natural to the body, so removing fingernail polish, hairspray, whatever, getting the body to its pure state, sewing it up in a linen or muslin shroud, and then putting it in a, a wooden coffin, which gets to, uh, to our page today, right? Which does make this distinction between the risk of impurity that comes from burying the body in a marble coffin, let's say, which is fancier and less porous and yet somehow more impure than the wooden coffin, which is somehow because it degrades along with the body, lends the body a kind of extra purity or holiness, if I'm reading this right. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's such a beautiful concept, the concept of if you are dressed in that shroud, as you describe, and in a wooden coffin, and everything disintegrates as things do, organic matters do naturally, when you find this dust that the Talmud talks about today, you have no way of knowing, is this dust from the coffin or dust from the cloth or dust from the corpse? But in a marble coffin, I mean, any speck of dust is clearly... Is corpse dust. Corpse yeah. Dust. So it's very interesting, right, the way that it elevates the degradation of this natural organic matter, the wood, next to the degradation and the decomposition of the organic matter, the body, which the Hever Kadisha has prepared back down, has reduced back down to its most organic, unadorned state, right? You're not buried in Judaism with jewels, and you're not buried with your homage, your Tanakh, your holy books. You're, you go back to the earth just as you came, naked, unadorned, and in a coffin that is as close to being earth as a coffin can be. I, 
I, it's interesting because as I read this page, I was reminded of of a little, uh, you know, one of my little bits of snarky comedy that I mutter to myself or to my wife when she's in a tolerant mood, which is the obsession that a lot of parents have with having their children play with wooden toys. You know, there's a whole company, Melissa and Doug. Did your mm-hmm. kids get Melissa oh, and Doug absolutely. toys? Right? And there is an unstated, actually, there is a loudly stated conviction on the part of many uh, yuppie parents such as ourselves that somehow they're having kids play with wooden toys as opposed to plastic or metal or other stuff that takes more human preparation is holier, is better for them. Th- this is so deep in contemporary bourgeois culture that it goes unquestioned. There's And one of the progressive schooling communities, I forget if it's Waldorf Steiner or Montessori or one of the others, is very insistent that all of the toys be wooden. And this, of course, is totally nonsensical. Um, there's nothing inherently more virtuous about wood when it comes to the, the toys that your children play with. And so I had to overcome a little bit of my prejudice in reading this page to realize that actually what the rabbis are teaching is that when you're talking about burial, which is a practice that brings us all back to our most elemental state, that essentially says, let us tear away the veneer of civilization, which is perfectly fine for our three score and 10 years or however many we have between birth and death when we wear things that have been processed and eat food that has been processed and and use vehicles that are man-made, woman-made, human-made, and that's all fine. That's part of civilization. But then when we go back to returning to our natural state, the idea that there is something actually holier and less polluted about being with wood that can decompose along with us strikes me as extremely profound and and very insightful. It's as if they were looking forward into our modern world where we're so confused about the status of wood versus other materials. So maybe maybe Melissa and Doug should launch a new line of toys for kids, the Hevra Kadisha line for toddlers. With little baby coffins. coffins. You could put your your little baby corpse into, this is getting way too dark. I, I want to um, I want to end on a truly holy note, which is to ask you to tell a bit of the story of the Hever Kedisha in Pittsburgh, making a particularly grim discovery. Yeah, you know it's funny when I talk about this book, which had, as it turned out, eighteen chapters, which I didn't plan, and the chapter that still moves me, that I feel is still least wrote and most alive to me, is this chapter about the burial societies where they came together to prepare these eleven victims uh, for burial. And there were two Hever Kadishas in Pittsburgh, which is also part of the story: is that there's a more traditional one and a more kind of progressive and liberal one. And honestly, if if people were to bootleg or scan one chapter, uh, I, I'm I'm moved that you pointed or, them or toward pay this one. Full price or pay retail. Wherever great books are sold. Squirrel Hill by Mark Oppenheimer. (laughs) But the fact that one of these Hever Kadishas had to prepare for burial the body of Jerry Rabinowitz, who had been one of – I don't remember if he was one of the founding members, but certainly one of the early members of this Hever Kadisha and who himself had been – at so many taharas where he and you know five or six, however many they could pull out that night, fellow members – would come and prepare the body of someone else from the community. It's in some ways the most terrible thing you can imagine, right? Having to prepare one of your own for his burial. At the same time, of course, that's also the most normal and beautiful thing, which is that when you're part of a Hever Kadisha and you die, whether by murder or, you know, one hopes naturally, it is members of that Hever Kadisha who show up to bury you. And I remember, you know, it's a lot of this is supposed to be very private. People don't like talking about it. The first rule of Hever Kedisha is you don't talk about Hever Kedisha. And that's really deep in the theology of it, that you don't want people at Kiddush who may be dying or may know that the end is near to be standing next to somebody at the bagel spread and have a sense that that person is going to see their naked body and is going to be preparing them for the world to come. 
a week or a month or a year later, that, that it would be too awkward and uncomfortable. And so we don't talk about who does this work because they don't want credit and because it also could you know, create awkwardness among those who will need that work soon. So nobody wanted to really talk about it, but people did say that for Jerry Rabinowitz's Hever Kadisha, everyone wanted to be there. You know, people who could come did come. And that there was a sense that, you know, that if, if somebody has if, – if a, if a murdered Jew in Pittsburgh has to be buried, alas, that to be buried by his fellow members of the Hevra was quite fitting. Mark Oppenheimer, thank you so much for this wonderful book and for being our guest. I wish you Hevra and Kadisha. I wish you friendship and uh, holiness. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And get your Take One merch, t-shirts, mugs, and other great stuff at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Robert Scarmucha, and Mark Oppenheimer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic. Thank you.